0: Let's get into it. friends. Welcome to the show. Today, I am speaking with a good friend of mine that I've had for a long time now, Mr. Mikey Elfers. Mike is from the band The JV All Stars. He's the guitar player. He is also currently the singer and guitarist in the band Thirst Things First. He's also the drummer for punk band The Killigans. He's a busy guy. He writes album reviews for punknews.org, which is really cool. That's a site I've been going to since I was a teenager, as well as the site That's Good Enough For Me. And he's got a great YouTube series. Who's Zooming Who, where he interviews bands, and on his last interview, he had one of my all-time favorite bands. He had three-fourths of the band Midtown on his show. If you're a fan of Midtown, be sure to check that out. It's a lot of fun. He's a fun guy, positive guy. Always have a blast talking with him. We reminisce about touring. The JV All-Stars, that was a band that both of my old bands had the opportunity to play with. The American Life went on tour with the JV All-Stars back in 2009, and it was one of the most fun tours that we ever had, and we reminisced about that a little bit. And Game Time was also lucky enough to play with the JV All-Stars several times up in Lincoln, Nebraska at Knickerbockers, as well as the Ranch Bowl in Omaha. Really fun catching up with Mikey. He's got a lot of stuff going on. Always fun talking with him. And without further ado, my wide-ranging conversation with Mr. Mikey Elfers.
1: What have I got? Just look at all of my friends. They have been with me for so long. My up? Hello, dude. How are you? Oh, I'm good. My wife and I stayed up until like 2 o'clock playing Monopoly for the PS4. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like, and by that, I mean relearning how to play Monopoly for the first time. There were so many details that I don't remember about yeah. how the hotels and stuff work.
0: Renting versus buying?
1: Yeah. No, we have this like million year old dog that we like hate his guts. Like there's like nothing positive about owning him anymore, (laughs) except just like seeing, seeing his his life through without like cheating and like putting him to death. Uh, (laughs) So he like woke us up every couple hours. Our daughter was with grandma, but, but then we got up today to go do kind of the first social gathering that we've done at all in the last year. There's this bar in the Haymarket had these big man-made plastic igloos. And so we joined with like two other couples that we're close with that we feel are like taking this seriously. And then we drank a bunch and then we went home and ate Panda Express. So I'm feeling, you know, really healthy right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're raring to go. I bet. I bet you could run a 5k right now. Maybe.
1: Oh, no, we, we've we been laughing a lot at the fact that like, so the world shut down and I was just like, okay, whatever. I started gaining a little bit of weight and I was like, you know, this. I'm at home. <laughs> Yeah, dude, we all did. I'm like the I'm the take, <laughs> I'm like the take the staircase guy, but Tarlowski is like the skinniest he's ever been in his life because really because he's, he's ca- like literally carrying a bar on his shoulders, a bar restaurant. So I mean, he's not skinny for like really positive reasons, I suppose. Like he's stressed. Yeah. But, I, I, but we we have been joking about how members of JBA have the ability to swap shapes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you guys just take turns, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I hope he's doing okay. I haven't talked to him in a little while. I know he was, or he still is working at the bar, right? So Mm -hmm. he's not the owner, but he's basically carrying
1: the establishment. He's not in a great situation. The situation in, you know, across America as a whole is like, if you're a rich business owner, you don't do anything. You like, you know, buy jet skis and shit. And Mm -hmm. then you're kitchen manager, your bar manager works 80 hours a week and has to do all the hiring and firing, which during this last year is is even more inflated. And then you know, every once in a while, the boss shows up and tells you, you know, yeah, you're busting your ass working 80 hours. You're a real man. You're a good dad. Nobody else is, is as strong as you. You know, people that work in offices aren't as tough as you, Nick. And he kind of drinks the Kool-Aid a little bit. But, and it's so it kind of sucks because it's like I think that it's really lame that our country has that ideology that like you're not working for your family unless you're working 80 hours a week. Like that's pathetic.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, the older I get, the more I'm looking for opportunities to leverage time so that I don't have to work 80 hours a week.
1: And so when people stop me on the street to ask about a new JVA record, I'm just like, Nick's too busy. (laughs) Yeah. Get Nick an office job and we can do this.
0: Yeah. Well, it, it would be great if he could get a gig where he is able to go home at a reasonable hour and he's not working 80 hours a week, but he's making roughly the same amount of money And then he can go home and he can write songs and you guys can put out a new record.
1: I just, it always kind of starts that way. You know, he's been through like five or six jobs in the last 10 years. And, you know, he always comes to me super stoked. He's like, dude, I just got hired at Famous Dave's and they told me it's going to be different. And then I'm going to get off at five every day. And then within like 12 days, he's like back into the, into the grind. And I think it's because he holds personal responsibility for what happens when he's not around and, you know, all of those things. But I think he's just got to get out of service. I think that's his only option, you know, and hopefully he figures that out before his knees get out on him like (laughs) kitchen friends.
0: That's the hope, right? We're all just trying to find a job that we can do hopefully until we're old enough to stop working at some point. Yeah. He could build equity in a company too. I feel like we need to get him on this call here. We need to do a podcast together and figure this out. He needs to open up his own place. He needs to become the business owner.
1: Yeah, the jet ski the guy.
0: Manager for a few years, hire some good people that he trusts, that he likes working with, and mm-hmm. spread the wealth as far as the work is concerned because he understands he's on the front lines. Build equity in the company, and then you know everybody wins.
1: Yeah, and he gets to create. I mean, you and I are fans of each other's music, but we both know that like at the end of the day, Nick has a talent that I certainly don't have. Mellow doesn't have the abilities that Nick has to like write a story that captivates you Mm -hmm. and, and sing it in a way that makes you feel like he's singing it for you. Like he's just so talented in that way. And I'm never going to be like that, but
0: never say never, buddy. Just keep (laughs) practicing. You know, I used to be really terrible at writing and now I'm hopefully less terrible.
1: (laughs) I'm proud. I'm proud of myself and I'm proud of what I do. Nick is just next level. You know what I mean? There's just something about Nick. Adam Lorbach has it too. There's just something about when you hear their voices, you're just like, oh my God, my heart. (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's true. Nick is a storyteller. Some of my favorite JV All-Star songs, and I think this is probably shared amongst most of the people that listen to your band, probably like the storytelling Mm -hmm. songs, which there are a lot of. I like having... Nick kind of explained the songs. He still tells stories online, Mm -hmm. social media. I think he does a good job of that. Sometimes when he's got a longer post, I always stop and read it because there's something profound in there.
1: Yeah, you can read his English major, all of that good stuff too.
0: Was he an English major? That actually makes perfect sense, That's
1: why he's a bartender now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, good old college. Yeah, I've got plenty of friends that they're still paying off their student loans, unfortunately, but they're not doing what they went to school for or they had to go back to school or get yeah. certifications and things. But yeah. I've definitely had friends over the years too, that have gotten sucked into that whole working 80 hours a week for somebody else trap too. Yeah. Yeah. And that's frustrating.
1: And yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm in the weirdest situation I've ever been in just working from home for the last year. Cause I worked for a software company that I had been with for four or five months and then I got sent home. And so I still don't actually really know what I'm doing at all. Okay but I'm getting paychecks and benefits.
0: <laughs> I, I like that. I like that, you know, you're making a decent living. What do you do? Or what company is it?
1: It's called Mac Practice. They went down in history as the first medical record computer software that could function on a Mac in the 80s. Oh, cool. And now, of course, there's thousands of them, but I'm the IT development liaison. So I just communicate between the IT department's direction and like the nerdy coders that can't communicate with other human beings.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're a so yeah, nerds. it helps
1: that I'm just like a douche conversational guy. It definitely took a lot of them like a few months to be like, all right, I think I might have a twinkle of respect for him after talking to him for a while because I come off terrible for, you know, a long time when I meet somebody.
0: <laughs> That's cool. Have you ever heard of Cerner? No. Oh, okay. They're a medical software and hardware company down here in Kansas City. I used to work for them. Oh, They're cool. like one of the bigger companies in Kansas City, out of Kansas City. They hire several thousand people people, not just in Kansas city, but also in other countries and all over the U.S. I think they have close to 30,000 employees now, maybe more than that, but they're well-known in Kansas city.
1: Okay. Yeah. We'll see. You know, got my foot in the door with that. It was my first like eight to five ever. Cool. And so just like what I was saying about Nick, I'll never forget. I, I used to work teller hours, like five to seven or sorry, 11 to seven. So like the first day I got off work at five and was like done for the day. I like went and got a drink and then had band practice. I was like, wow, this is a great life to live.
0: (laughs) It's nice. One of my best friends, one of the guys that was in the American life, he was not necessarily living up to his fullest potential. And he went and got one of those certifications, IT certifications, Mm. and he went to work for Cerner. And he really digs the nine to five or eight to five gig. And it helps facilitate the rest of the things that he wants to do. He eventually moved to Colorado because that's where his parents moved to and his sister is there as well. But he likes that getting off at five and having the weekends off. And yeah, yeah, yeah. he knowing
1: what he wants to do, and you can plan something three weeks in advance and not be stressed about it. Who who was that? Yeah, David. Do you remember David? David? What what David. instrument did he play? He
0: was one of the keyboardists at the time. He eventually transferred over to the drums after we lost our drummer.
1: Well, we were on We were talking about that band because we remembered I obviously I remembered you and we remembered Sean, but I just have this very vivid drunken memory of me. I'm like, where's the American life? And Steve was like, Steve Leidick was like, they're in a full out all band brawl in their van right now. <laughs> they're all fighting <laughs> with each other. <laughs> and like, you know, oh we my- all fought all, we all fought all the time, but it was more like kind of a one-on-one. And so yeah, we we laughed pretty hard remembering that memory. That was the only thing I remember about it. I think that you you dropped a weight on your toe like maybe the next night. And by that, that point, would, everybody was just like, I'm ready to go home.
0: That was an interesting tour. One of the most interesting tours I ever had because there was a big juxtaposition between the previous touring experience that I had with Game Time. That was much different than mm-hmm. the brief tours that we had with The American Life. Yeah. It wasn't me that dropped the weight on my foot. It was Josh, our base player. Oh, plate. okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I guess you're right.
0: Yeah. And so we were, you might remember, I remember having a conversation with you that night. It's good to see you by the way. Um, We were having a conversation at this particular venue and it was the venue. I think we were in Illinois or Iowa or something, but it was the venue where the stage was kind of packed into that corner of that Mm. roughneck, all wooden bar. And they started handing us trays of shots Do you remember that shots of liquor? while we were playing, we were playing in the middle and somebody brought over literally a a tray just full of shots. That was,
1: yeah, that was in uh, Ames, Iowa.
0: Yep, exactly right. Yeah. I knew it was one of the eyes and that was the night that they allowed us to be our own bartender. Do you remember Mm -hmm. them letting us get behind the bar?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't, but I, but I do. (laughs) (laughs) And they had like a, they had a purple Gatorade drink was like their specialty.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Game time. Did not drink on tour at all. Nobody drank at that time. And the American Life drank a lot. Mm -hmm. That was when I really started drinking. That was when the drinking really started to ramp up. But yeah, I remember push came to shove that night. We got into a fight. Somebody was mad because certain people weren't helping load out and it started to rain. And then I remember somebody got really defensive and started throwing equipment around. And I remember I got really pissed off because I was thinking to myself, that's not your property, don't do that yeah and <laughs> I remember David Gay he was trying to basically talk some sense into me and there was an apartment complex right next to the venue and somebody from the middle of the building literally opened their window and started shouting at us to basically shut the fuck up and
1: <laughs> yeah, what was that and place it, called it was called patties or pappies or yeah it was pukers
0: it was, it was something like that but we all just got annihilated that night and I remember people cried people were definitely emotional that night. There, there was some heart to heart action, but ultimately it was just a manifestation and a buildup of all of the dysfunction that was that band. Just so yeah. many
1: different.
0: Yeah. A lot of big egos in the American life,
1: unfortunately,
0: but yeah, good times.
1: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, I think may, maybe an advantage was like, you were a young one when you joined game time and I was I a was. young one when I joined JVA. So I think that you and I just learned to like kind of fall in line right away. Because yeah, JBA wasn't they weren't much drinkers either. And I was a new guy. I was playing for a band that I was a fan of. So of course I like tried as hard as I possibly could. It wasn't until later on tours like that where I was just like, you know what? I'm pretty confident I can get blackout drunk and play all these JBA songs just fine. Yeah. <laughs> so let's have fun. But yeah, it yeah, we... was a drunk, drunk couple of days. <laughs>
0: oh yeah. That was a mess for sure. That was the first time I remember drinking on tour and some of the effects thereafter and just waking up in a van hung over. How old are you? When did you join JBA?
1: I turned 37 last week.
0: Okay. Happy so, birthday. Thanks. Yeah. We're the same age.
1: Yeah. And I joined, I joined JVA like 04. So okay. I was like freshly 19-ish or something. Okay. And that's when we went. Cause when I moved to Lincoln to play in my band, Same Old Crap, our drummer quit the day that we were moving to Lincoln. So he like broke a lease with us. like. <laughs> It was all handshake, but like he kind of screwed us over. He was an older kid that lived in Wayne. And so the three remaining people in Same Old Crap, including myself, we got to this house in Lincoln and found jobs. I think I walked around and found a job at a Burger King that was like two a two-mile walk away and just did whatever we needed to do. It was like we had Kings of Pop, we had $200, and we had mattresses and guitars, and that was it. That's all you needed. Right? Uh, so it was at that time that I was like, Nick, I moved here to play shows with your band, my band doesn't exist. Let me be in JVA. Here's a band called Homegrown. This is Kings of Pop. Listen to this. Here, say it like you mean it. Listen to this, Nick. JVA can sound like this, but you need a second guitar player and another person that can kind of sing. And Nick was like, I'll go ask the dudes. And then I didn't hear from him for a couple of days. And I was like, Hey, dude, am I in the band or not? And he's like, The drummer Sean and the bass player Eric Mello don't like you. And they said, Oh. No. And I was like, Oh. And then the drummer Sean got out of a breakup. I think he was dating like, it's like one of those situations where he was dating a girl that was like kind of sleeping with every single guy in the music community at the same time. <laughs> and they broke up and he quit JVA and like wrote everybody off. He called him a shitty garage band and like, like changed his phone number and nobody ever really saw him ever again. He became like a whisper in time. So I swept in and I was like, Hey dude, I'm in the band now. Right. Also. I just met this 14 year old kid named Maddie Sanders. It's going to play with my band. I think he can play in JVA too. He's really good. And Nick was like, okay. And Mello was like, you know, you're actually pretty well-spoken. I I guess I always thought you were like a heroin addict or something because of the way that you look. (laughs) And that's, that's how the four of us got to playing together. Okay. So it was a weird hierarchy. You know, there were the two original members that were substantially older than me and Maddie. And so it was that classic case of like, even, you know, to this day, if we were to do a JVA song, I think that Maddie honors the exact drum styles that's on that original JVA stuff with the first drummer. I think that it's just evolved to, you know, current times.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Did you play with them when we all played with boys together?
1: You know, people keep talking to me about this. And the more I tell the story, I think that I had joined the band, but maybe I didn't actually play that show. Maybe I was at that show and maybe I went on stage and played guitar. But for sake of my own fragile ego, people keep telling me that to tell that story and I just assume that I played.
0: (laughs) I thought you were there. I remember that show pretty well. And we were missing a member that night. Our drummer had to work or something. He had some sort of obligation where he wasn't going to be able to do it. And I said, well, we should play this show. (laughs) We should figure out a way. Mm -hmm. And if you don't mind, and we had a guy that, toured with us a really good friend named drew who filled in for that show and gave our drummer he understood because he knew the hype surrounding fallout boy but that was november of 2003 yep. so i thought you were in the band then
1: uh, you know i might have been though my biggest takeaways from that regardless are it was blizzarding like hell mm-hmm. and fallout boy like had enough time to like scrape the snow off of their cases and get their shit on stage because they were so late. Mm-hmm. But as soon as they broke into the first song, I, I want to say they played the album just front to back. Take this to your Yeah, head, I think they it's, did. It's like all they had at the time. Yeah, not rock. in
0: order, but they played pretty much all those songs.
1: And when they played Saturday, you know, the huge screamo part at the end, Pete like ripped his bass off and threw it at a guitar tech and it like popped yep. him in the face, but he put it on and immediately started playing it and rocking. Mm-hmm. Like, that was an iconic moment for me. And, and when, like, I've made fun of Fallout Boy a lot over the years with, uh, I think, a lot of good reason considering where they decided to go. But, mm-hmm. like, when they became untouchably famous, I was like, no, I mean, I saw it right there. There were, you know, 28 people there and they played, yeah. they played harder, you know, they, they played as hard as they would in, in an arena uh, that night. My other takeaway is when the drummer from Bayside died in that accident in the blizzard fallout boy was the like that show that was the first thing that I thought about and then I thought about my bandmates and I because we were on tour and it was shitty out and I was like wow you know this like we've never thought about getting hurt on tour Mm -hmm. like what would we do like you know it was the first time we hadn't had any van problems or anything necessarily at this point either because it was so early on but yeah just two big, inspiring names, I think, for us in bands that touched us very early on in regards to touring and how to carry yourselves. And Patrick Stump wrote, you guys are good on a piece of paper and held it up while, while JVA played. And it was like, yep. thank you.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They were nice guys. I remember meeting them that night for the first time. I think we played one other show with them, but I do remember some hairy spots touring in the wintertime. I'm mm-hmm. sure you guys... Experience This, it always freaked me out whenever I would drive on 70 or 80 going mm. through Colorado during the wintertime. I mean, it would freak me out any season, but going down those big gigantic hills where you're tapping the brakes lately and the steering wheel and the steering column are just shaking violently. That mm. always freaked me out. I would always drive really slow in those instances, but I do remember when that happened to Bayside and thinking, man. Little too real there, right? Just close yeah. to home.
1: Yeah. Cause everybody
0: really shook them up.
1: Well, and that was around the time that everybody bought a big van and a big trailer. And it was just like, oh, if you're gonna be a real band, you need to own these two things. You need to use them. Yeah. But yeah. The last big tour, I wanna say, the JBA went on. We left Northern California mm-hmm. and proceeded to get stuck in a blizzard for five or six days. And it was to the point that we were like, we couldn't turn the van off because it might not turn back on. We would drive for 15 minutes only for I-80 to get closed again. Mm -hmm. We became buddies with like a very eccentric group of truckers (laughs) because we would all be in a hotel lobby waiting for it to open up again. And somebody would make the announcement, everybody would race to their vehicle. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the truck drivers fantasized pirates and he had a parakeet that he let, could like talk. It was like this weird thing, but that sucked. That was, you know, compared to 2020 and, and, you know, just how awful We've seen people can be to other people. That was one of the first times in my life. We we finally had to get a hotel one of those nights in Wyoming, in Wyoming or else we were going to freeze to death. And of course, our van didn't start the next morning. And so I went to the front desk and I was like, Hey, do you know anybody that could get us a jump? Like, we're running late. I 80 just opened up and this creepy guy at the counter was like, Yep, for 200 bucks, I'll jump you. Oh. And I was like, You know, it was just awful. Like, you're a human being, man. Like, and $200 for a, a jump, you know, something that's just the easiest. And there was a couple that was checking into the hotel and the guy, his face grew super sour and he looked at me and he's like, one, I'm going to jump you guys right now. Two, sir, I'm going to a different hotel. Like you're horrible. And <laughs> so he jumped us, we went on our way, but it was just, we puttered along canceling shows. Some of the best shows we were going to have. We had a show, I think with the AOKs in Denver were mm-hmm. this bigger ska band at the time. And we had a show, I want to say with somebody from Link 80, and Desa Desa was what they were called, and you know we're messaging them on MySpace, and we could get Wi-Fi. Like, hey, we're gonna have to cancel the next date too because we're so far behind. Well, we finally made it outside of. We made it to Cheyenne, so we're at the bottom of the mountain. The snow subsides. It's desert. We parked at a gas station, and our van never started ever again.
0: Oh, <laughs>
1: so we finally made it out of the storm.
0: So that was the end for the van. Yep.
1: And uh, so we detached the trailer, we shoved it to the side of the gas station. We're just like, oh, we think we have like a, a friend that has a truck in Denver that can take it for us. And then a girl I went to high school with that we were excited to hang out. She was sick, but she had the flu, but she drove her little Cavalier and we all packed into the Cavalier and she drove us from, oh, it was Laramie, sorry, from Laramie to Fort Collins where she lived, which was not a long drive, but an uncomfortable one. And it was dead silent because everybody was so upset. And- my friend Megan was really sick, like coughing and sneezing. And yeah, it was just a horrible, horrible feeling.
0: Oh man. That's giving me PTSD right now.
1: Oh. And when we were at the (laughs) gas station waiting for Megan to pick us up, Nick was being Nick, just talking to people, smoking cigarettes, making friends. Some old women approached us and they were like, Hey, so we heard that you guys are having van problems and you play in a band. Can we like buy some of your merch or something? Like we're old ladies. Maybe we can give it to our grandkids or something. And so we ended up just being like donation, like whatever, name your price. And they gave us a handful of cash. We gave them some CDs. And then the owner of the gas station told us if we talked to another person, that we were kicked out. Jeez. For like soliciting. And it was, you know, negative 11 outside. Van didn't start. So we went and sat on the floor in the corner of this gas station and just like pouted, you know?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I like that juxtaposition. You've got the sweet old ladies being wonderful human beings, trying to help you guys get to where you're going, and then you've got all these shitty gas station and hotel attendants. Yeah, (laughs) that is kind of America in a nutshell. No, I'm. But I like the idea that the guy went to a different hotel, so there was instant karma for the first guy.
1: Yeah. No, and you know that tour as a whole. We, I'm not a religious guy whatsoever. Like, absolutely not. But we played, we became buddies with these like mega church pop punk guys. And they actually weren't like really very good people. Mm -hmm. It was like, they were like doing drugs in the parking lot. And like, just like, they were just kind of bros, like kind of like frat bro kind of dudes. Mm -hmm. They were really condescending, but we somehow like got under their wing enough to play shows at this mega church. And they were amazing. And Eric Mello's not religious at all either. And so we sold a ton of merch that night. Every single person wanted to come talk to us. And every time they would come up and ask us if we were a religious band, we were scared. So Mello and I just kept saying like, yeah, of course we are. And, you know, like, Praise Jesus. <laughs> and then we we kind of snickered about it. And then when all that shit happened, I was like, all right, you know, I don't, be- I'm still not a believer, but we definitely were fine. Like we were messing with karma pretty bad <laughs> and we paid for it. We paid for it in Wyoming.
0: Yeah. It happens on tour. You play with karma for sure. Sometimes I'll reminisce about tour and I'll think about how many strangers opened up their homes to us Mm -hmm. and how many strangers introduced us to their parents who then opened their homes to us and fed us and did our laundry. And my parents were the same way. I remember the first time some bigger bands on their way to biggerdom started Mm -hmm. They would come and stay with my parents and my parents were always very gracious and willing to let people stay. You know, I think they were banking on other people returning the favor for us when we were Mm -hmm. driving all over the country. I'm sure you guys experienced that too. You just said that you guys were trying to avoid getting hotel rooms. We were the same way. That was last resort. Get a hotel room. No, we can't blow that much money. Got to save that, you
1: know, including Wyoming. And that horrible week, I can tell you JVA got less than 10 hotel rooms in the entire time that we toured. Yeah. We spent a lot of nights in Walmart parking lots in the van. Yeah, like I was going to say. Sleeping to- on top of each other.
0: <laughs> yeah. Did you guys sleep in the van? Did you guys have a 15 passenger van?
1: Uh, Yes. And so we could successfully fit two or maybe three people on the twin mattress that was in the back. And then we had a full bench. That somebody usually slept on. And then Mello usually just slept in the driver's seat. Yeah. Like like reclined. He had some like brass knuckles in his bag right next to our money. And he was really, you know, he did the majority of the driving. He was more of the father figure of the band. That makes sense. But as far as people opening up their lives for us, I mean, that was insane. You know, the amount of kindness that I was able to experience... I mean, if you've ever seen the movie uh, Craigslist Joe, no, I haven't. About, it's about a it's a it's a documentary about a guy that uses Craigslist. He like gets dumped off in the middle of a city that he's not from, and he has like a library card and like twenty bucks cash or something. And I think his goal was to visit all fifty states or something. And so, he just gets on Craigslist and starts doing like jobs needed, like. I need somebody to help haul this trash out of my house. I'll pay you 50 bucks or whatever. And it was just like tour. Like he ended up traveling all over the place and like meeting celebrities and doing all these things just because he put himself at the bottom. And I'll never forget. We played a show like at the Blair Witch Project, (laughs) like (laughs) creepy New York. And it was one of those shows where... There was just too many bands playing. And so there was never more than like one person watching each artist at the same time. And when it became our turn to play, there was just this like forty year old older woman. She might have been older. And she sat there and watched us. She didn't smile. She didn't clap. And when we were done, she was just like, Hey, I'm getting you guys at a hotel. And we were like, Awesome. What's the cat? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh I think we even made a few jokes. Like we are like, well, Maddie has a girlfriend though. Like,
0: yeah, what was the catch?
1: (laughs) Well, that's what's really weird about this particular occasion. And so we, we get to the hotel and we're like, so obviously we're going to have to hang out with her and and I'm a little introverted, but it was like, it's fine. I'll drink some beer, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, the woman showed up with like three cases of beer and like some vodka And we were like, oh, this is like orgy time. (laughs) (laughs) But it was a nice hotel. And we were absolutely broke. Like, I don't think I ate that day. And she had a pizza. And we were like, before we could say anything, she was like, you guys are best friends. And I bet tonight's going to be the only night that you spend off stage or out of your van, actually just hanging out as yourselves without having to entertain someone. And we were like, wow, are you an angel or something? And she was like, (laughs) just you have to eat breakfast with me tomorrow. That's the only couch. We're like, okay. And so we got to like decompress and smile and laugh with each other, stretch our legs and get drunk and eat. Yeah. And we each had a bed Like she hooked us up. And the next day we ate breakfast and it was super pleasant. It was delicious. You know, you don't eat breakfast on tour unless it's like a banana and, you know, And then we're like, can we all give you a hug? Like, we got to leave. She's like, yeah. And she gave our merch guy this envelope and was like, hey, don't even tell. the These guys are going to be super weird about this. So just take this envelope and just don't even open it until you guys are gone. And he was like, well, we can't. And she was like, look, I just, I don't have anything in my life that I worry about. And i really, I'm really inspired by you guys hopping in a van in Nebraska and making it all the way to New York with no money. And it had. 800 bucks cash in it wow so hotel okay. food breakfast you know she spent bucks she spent two thousand some dollars on total strangers after watching them play you know shitty pop music <laughs> in the Blair Witch Project you that's know I, awesome. have, I have dozens of stories like that and that's what I try to th- remember when I'm thinking about how polarizing things are lately or how awful people can be. It's just remembering that all it takes is just like a moment like that.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's moments like that too, that help me find the even playing field with a lot of people that I may not agree with politically, Mm -hmm. you know, because that's the thing. We all collectively have our own individual perspective and experience, and that's what drives a lot of that stuff. We don't really control most of it. It's a lot of what we're just absorbing every single day or who we surround ourselves with. That's a big part of it. And trying mm-hmm. to be a good person and having different ideas about how to go about that. But yeah, that stuff like that, hearing about that and remembering the days before we were such a polarized country and we weren't, I mean, I think culturally, just with the advent of social media or messaging, we absorb something and then we talk about it via social media. Whereas 20 years ago, we didn't really do that as much. Mm-hmm. You may have been absorbing things, but you may not have been internalizing that, or immediately running to your team after you hear or see something. It restores my faith in humanity a little bit, trying to think about stuff like that, so I don't get so cynical.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I can well, be really. also, I've learned, cynical. I, I've learned that it's really easy to like. It's all about perspective, too, right? You know, we can talk about we can talk about some of the terrible things that have happened in the last year, for example. Also, over the last year, the majority of media that my daughter has been consuming, has left her under the impression that she can be a fireman, that she can do whatever she wants to do. She watches cartoons with transgender characters. She has absolutely not a question in her brain that two men shouldn't be married. Mm-hmm. And we, we talk about it all the time because I'm at home with her all the time. But she's just, she's the voice of reason. She's like, well, why wouldn't two guys be able to get married? It's mm-hmm. like, you're right. And you're perfect. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah. And uh, I absolutely
0: adore that innocence. It, How does she now?
1: She turns four on the sixth of April. So okay. she's had a wild year. She's learned to communicate really well, but she hasn't been able to have that much fun because mom and dad are not very much fun. So, <laughs> you know, we do what we can, and mm-hmm. she's constantly changing who we are. You know, I can go from being Eugene from Tangled to being a character from Yo Gabba Gabba as she can, you know, changes with her imagination. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of all she's had this year. It's like, I don't know. Let's play superheroes. I'm Catboy. Daddy, you're Owlette. And I'm like, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's where all the acting experience comes in, right?
1: <laughs> well, and, you know, <laughs> not, not to like get super kumbaya, but she was singing along to music before she could like speak English, you know, like the musical influence. And my, my wife sings all day and she's always sung to my daughter and Mm -hmm. to see how into music she already is is just such a great feeling my parents were super into music but they never ever pressured me about it because i think they were scared if they bought me a guitar i was gonna you know start playing sports or something uh (laughs) and so i remember (laughs) when i remember when i asked my dad if i could borrow his guitar like i could see that he was about to start crying but he was also just like yeah i guess that's fine Mm -hmm. and so yeah, just watching the, the music surge through my daughter has been a very enjoyable part of the year as well. Are you gonna buy her a guitar? You know, we bought her a ukulele, and she she broke it. She like Billy <laughs> Joe Armstrong it during I forget what she was doing, but it was cheap. I actually told my pa- my my parents are like, "What do we get her? What do we get her?" I'm like, "She has everything she could ever want." But oh get, yeah, get her a new ukulele, and they're like, "We're honored to you know be the ones to buy her that." I was like, "Cool, well, hell, she's hell yeah, dude." It. She's also going to love that. She's really going to dig the paper towel cardboard tube that she's been playing with for the last two days, too, though.
0: (laughs) Yeah, kids are fun that way. My fiance, she has two little ones, and it's been fun to watch them grow up and definitely seeing all of the innocence and just the sweet naivete of their little brains. In their little minds, they're just not corrupted at all, which is crazy and something that I'm a little nervous about you know, because they've had such a sheltered year. I'm sure you felt that way too a little bit. You have to go back out into the real world. They just started going back to school full-time and you're just thinking, oh gosh, man, the world felt scarier this last 12 months.
1: Yeah. I'm also, I'm very nervous about my beloved dog, Hammond, because we adopted him in January as a puppy and in March, he- started to get the impression that we don't leave. Uh. So so he's super smart. We've taught him to do everything you can think of, like roll over and he has a little service bell that he rings when he has to go outside or wants food and he's genius. But the minute we leave to like go to the grocery store, we come back, he had a fit of rage and like knocked over the trash can and freaked out. (laughs) And you find him like with his nose buried in his hands, like he knows that he failed. He doesn't know why he freaked out. Like he's going to take more adjusting than anybody in my house when we get back
0: to work. (laughs) That's probably true. Separation anxiety. That's a tough one to break. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You doing any music these days? You writing anything?
1: Yeah, absolutely. My little brother's texting me right now. I'm trying to talk to you about Thirst Things First. That's my alien space band from the future.
0: Yeah. I love the videos. The videos are the best behind me. Yeah.
1: And I I played drums in a band called the Killigans that had been around forever.
0: I almost saw you guys play live. Did you guys open for Smoking Popes in Kansas City?
1: I'm sure they did, but I joined the band after they were, the band was 16 or 17 years old when I joined. I joined in 2017 or okay. 2016 and started drumming. They had the same drummer forever and ever and ever. Mm-hmm. And then he, I think it was his 40th birthday. He was like, okay, I'm done with you know, music and traveling okay. and all that stuff. And so I was playing in a black flag cover band with the bass player and a couple other friends. And drumming to me, if I can keep it, keep it going, if I can keep practice going, it's one of the best forms of uh, working out that, oh uh, yeah, you know, I take the stairs instead of the elevator, you know, eat better lunches, eat vegetables. And if I'm doing that and I'm drumming, then I can look at myself in the mirror and not be like super unhappy about how I look and how I feel on a general basis. That's great, buddy. So, yeah, I saw this opportunity. The Killigans were like, hey, dude, can you le- can you learn 100 songs? Because we have five albums. And I was like, all right. And Pokemon Go had just come out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it encourages you to, you know, get your steps in to like hatch pokey eggs and stuff. So yeah, like it was me and my AirPods and, and Pokemon Go. and And you learned all the songs. I learned all the songs in time to play the big St. Patrick's Day show is like my first like really big show with them. And uh,
0: they're like an Irish Celtic punk rock
1: band. So they started in like 2001. And they Mm -hmm. put out a little EP. And it was so Irish that the singer was kind of faking an accent even. Mm -hmm. And it it was really popular. And they immediately said, like, Oh, we need a backpedal on this Irish thing a little bit because we're like, like Eastern European, most of them. <laughs> and uh, and then they started, yeah, they started dabbling in other like Americana, Eastern European music, Russian rhythms. And no matter what they put out, people were like, oh, they're a Celtic rock band. They're an Irish band. And so when I joined, they were like, if you want to write, you can write. And I was like, cool. I'd love to write like serious punk music that's not about space. <laughs> and, yeah. uh so I wrote some songs about some things, some like social issues and political issues and wrote these songs and I was super proud of them. And then we put them through the runner and, you know, got the other Killigan's members putting their take on it. And then like the first review was just like, it was like my quote from my song, my, my lyrics, and it was like classic Killigan's Irish music. And I was like, what? <laughs> At least call it a JV All-Star song or something. So, <laughs> so yeah, once I allegedly, once you get that label of like Celtic or Irish, you can't shake it. Yeah. But,
0: Branded for life. Yep, it's kind of like pop punk.
1: Yep. Yeah, that's true.
0: <laughs> Unless you're a
1: boy. Yeah, and then you can cover the monsters or whatever. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's six other guys in the Killigans and they're all dads. I think there's 35 or 36 children total between everybody in the band. Wow. So like, they're my dad trust. They're who I go to for questions about carpentry or potty training.
0: Mm-hmm. Are they a little bit older? The other members?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just, I think we're i'm the youngest so 37 and i think the oldest guy's 50 okay uh, but yeah just fun. fun they're uh i'm excited to st- or we're gonna start practicing again and uh write a record and just really trying to go like epitaph with it which i'm excited about
0: yeah first awesome. things
1: there's things first is my baby it's my stupid brainchild post JVA. I wanted to write the stupidest joke ever and do it enough times that people took it seriously. And it, it's just kind of evolved now into, we're also a seven piece. There's two girls that sing lead vocals with me. We all switch off mm-hmm. and uh, we play to a backing track and a backing video when we perform live. And it's like equal parts drinking game, equal parts kind of max headroom. And everybody else in the band is so talented that I like discovered I can just put my guitar down and like dance and pick it up if I want to wail or something, and then just put it back down and just let everybody else's talent take over, which I think was an important step to becoming a father. And, you know, at the end of JVA there, I was, I would play drums, bass, guitar, sing, and I'd be like, Hey guys, here's a new demo of one of our songs. Like everybody, you know, play your part. And we broke away from that sometimes too. But that's how I kind of learned how to write songs after a while was just giving everybody their lines.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And JVA, was it an official breakup or is it just, we're going to take some time off now since we're all a little bit older, we're dads, we're responsible adults. We'll play some holiday shows.
1: The problem is, is if uh, Nick's such a sweetie, you can get him to say just about anything. So we played a show, Eric Mello was going to move to Europe. Mm -hmm. He moved to Hungary. And so we played a show with him and it was Eric's last show and we got a new bass player and then we played some shows with him. And then Maddie was like, I'm going to recording college in Arizona. So we played Maddie's last show. And this was around the time that people would corner Nick and be like, is it the last one? Is it the last one? Say it's the last one. Yeah. <laughs> and then it became like, are you guys going to go to the annual JV all-stars last show ever? Yeah. To the point that it, it actually kind of irked me a little bit. Like, I think it's just a little advantageous to say like, Oh, you, may, you this may never happen again. Mm -hmm. but then uh 2019 the winter of 2019 we usually played around christmas one of my good buddies aaron he sent me this kind of shitty text where he's like so i was gonna see you guys play this year but i decided i'm just gonna go to your last show next year and i was like you know what i think it's time to punish everybody (laughs) (laughs) i'm sick of this joke happening so let's not not do a show this year and let's maybe write some songs and then we'll like winter of 2020 we'll play a killer show Mm -hmm. and of course we know what happened uh,
0: <laughs> yeah so bummer
1: i don't think i'm i don't ever picture myself saying the JVA's done because it would be super stupid if we put out a song a year after saying something like that mm-hmm. and it used to be something you had to do because you got 700 myspace messages a day asking for a tour date at a venue you know by your town but it's 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 a silly thing to say even indefinite hiatus is really silly to me yeah like, i agree Unless somebody kills somebody's dad or something, it's like we're just currently not doing anything. We're still best friends. We still live in the same city, most of us. We're still in constant contact with one another.
0: Where did Melo end up moving? He moved, Uh, didn't
1: he? Yeah, he lives in Golden, Colorado.
0: Okay. Yeah, Colorado. I
1: thought he visits every once in a while. He really wants us to do some new stuff. I would love that. Maddie and I talked a lot last month about doing some stuff. Nick is super busy. Yeah. It would have to be a type of situation where all four of us were free and -hmm. interested at the same time.
0: You were saying that you were writing songs for the JV All-Stars and Nick writes, he wrote a lot of the early material, right? So Mm -hmm. do you guys typically write together? Is that what you want to do? If you guys put out new material, do you want to like hash it out in an actual space where you're jamming on stuff?
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely. You know, when we hit kind of autopilot, I'd say around the time we did uh, a record called Take Me Back to Spectre. It was, we had this machine and it worked and efficiency in a studio, like the Saddle Creek studio, we went to, you know, we had to put our cars, we had to hawk our, like put loans out on our cars to pay for that record. Like, I think we spent a hundred thousand dollars or something on that record.
0: Wow. So
1: we're talking efficiency in the studio. And we thought that we kind of figured out the way the band dynamic worked. It was like, all right, so we all three sing. We all kind of have our different flavors, much like uh Midtown or homegrown or, you know, and that's what we aspired to sound like. hmm and then it just became this thing where like Nick would write a song on an acoustic guitar and sing it, sing the hell out of it. And then I'd take that acoustic guitar track and I'd transform it into like me and Maddie would transform it into a JBA song. So like the first time we ever heard stereo, it was it sounded like the gamuts or green day or something. Yeah. The vocals were exactly the same. But Maddie and I were like, Oh, we need to go like head-on collision here with this. Like we need we need a jumpy song to help start the record. And so that's how we did Nick's songs. And then mellow doesn't write a lot of music but he wrote a lot of lyrics and melodies so it was like hey we need to get an instrumental to mellow and so we kind of demo that and then he write it on its own and then when it was my turn it was just like all right i guess i'm just making this whole song you know and i know maddie's gonna add some charm and stuff to it but when you're spending that much money on a record like there's no reason for nick and i to record guitars at the studio because it was like well mikey's the one that you know he arranged it we don't want to waste our money's on fire right now anyway. So, so I played all the guitar on the records and that's why I want everyone in Thirst Things First to be a part of this project now is because I just kind of picked up after a while. It's like, no matter what you say about how solid it sounds because it's one person's hands or, you know, how confident you can be in your own vision, it's got to have the spice of other people. Yeah, and, and, you know, even just aside from that, Thirst Things First was a band that I was kind of doing that same way. I'd kind of write all the songs. And then when we play live, everybody would maybe take some ownership of some different things. But it wasn't until we recorded AFAF, our first song with the girls and, and Craig Ryer, that like they started handing me money. And I was like, what's this for? And like the song we're recording. And I was like, oh, you mean I'm not the only person that's going to pay for this now too? <laughs> and so it's just like, a, it's a win, win, win.
0: Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Cause recording can be an expensive proposition. It's definitely getting cheaper these days, which is great. But that's I the other thing recording. too, you know, I feel like a band like JVA, because the recording could potentially be considerably less expensive that might lend itself to more song creation.
1: I've been obsessed with, uh, not a surf the band since I was a kid, I bought their bought high low because of the, uh, that popular, that one hit wonder. Yeah,
0: dude, that was the last show I went to was not a surf. Wow. That's that amazing. was January so last jealous. year. Yeah. We went to Austin, Texas and they were there that night. So we're like, let's so go. see. I,
1: I was like a hipster elementary school kid. Like I, I'd like communicate with my dad's like college journalism class. And I'd see these like cool dudes that were like dressed like the guy from the spin doctors and stuff. And <laughs> I was always really impressed. I would try to impress them. So they'd be like, Hey man, Saw your Nirvana tape, little bro. Like, what's your favorite song? And I'd be like, Rape me. And they'd be like, or I'd be like something off of incesticide. And they'd be like, wow, that's so obscure. Like, what a cool kid. So when the one hit wonder started coming out, I like went above and beyond out of my way to like find the deep cuts on albums like that. And not just the single. So I got obsessed with Nonistar very early on. And I was like, wow, there's so much more than this popular song. And, you know, lo and behold, the band that they ultimately became is a a great statement to that, like an untouchable discography. They don't even have to play that single ever again. And they don't. Because it's not who they are. It's true. But I've always gotten jealous when I've gone and seen a band play that has that much of a legacy, and then like picked up a pop punk like riff, you know, and it's just been like, I want to write something that's a lot more timeless than that. If I'm going to like have like wrinkles and gray hair, and I'm going to be on stage, I don't want to be like pogoing to double time. And so, <laughs> I think a big general understanding of what JBA is going to do if we do another record is do something that's you know, written by 37 Uh, four-year-olds. And I've been kind of scared as to how that all works until, you know, like I heard Adam Lorbach's song and I was like, oh, it can be done. I listened to that, uh, it went totally like under my radar that Starting Line did a little three-song EP. But when they Mm -hmm. played it at their live stream, I checked it out. And was like, this is perfect. This is exactly what JVA could be in the future.
0: And yeah, I love that little three-song EP. It reminds me of Them meets the late 90s emo stuff. Yeah. Get up kids, small Brown Bike. Yeah. yeah, it's great. I dig that new Adam Lowerback song. I definitely hear the remnants of his melodies and his songwriting from Homegrown in it, but it definitely, it does transcend it. It's a little bit mm-hmm. more grown up. I feel the same way about the new MXPX record or the one mm-hmm. that they put out two years ago. Yeah. I felt like that was appropriate for their age. It didn't sound dated. It had a lot of energy. I think the lyrics were speaking to me that way.
1: Yeah, let's and let's ride that song. Like knocked the wind out of me when I heard it. The first thing that happened to my brain when I found out I was going to have a little girl was this ability to like weep on command. <laughs> <laughs> and that that song hit me really hard. Just made me think about, you know, introspective and just thinking about everything you've been through the type of person that you've been that you don't, maybe don't like so much Mm -hmm. uh, the type of person you aspire to be and how you can weigh all of that off of how old you currently are when you're thinking about it. So yeah, that MXPX record is a really good representation of that too.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's what you gain with experience, right? Mm-hmm. You gain wisdom through experience and hopefully come out the other side, knowing a little bit more about yourself and knowing what you, like you said, aspire to be and aspire to become. Hopefully you've established some sort of a value system. So you kind of know how you want to live your life and how to make decisions and things like that.
1: Yeah, dude. I, I have stuff. a, I have a, yeah. It, my like one time travel situation, we were wrapping up Girls Who Get Your Boys, JBA. And I was hanging out. I I lived with Eric Mello and I went down to the basement. He was giggling by himself. And uh, I was like, what are you laughing about? And he was like, oh, you know that new MySpace thing? He's like, I made one for JV All-Stars. I'm adding all these super hot, like, I don't even think these girls are real. And they were like porn bots or something. (laughs) He was like, he's like, look at their, you know, look at their outfits and like clicking add just to all of them. And I remember being like, well, have fun with your weird friendster ripoff." Website. I'm gonna go upstairs and work on our pure volume, which is actually gonna help us become famous. Hmm. If I would have, if we would have put our new record on MySpace that morning and just started mass adding people, our band would have been very successful.
0: Oh yeah, we didn't know. Yeah, for sure.
1: If I could change anything,
0: it's it's a shame you guys didn't put your albums on Zanga.
1: Yeah, (laughs) that too. Yeah,
0: I forget what it was. Friendster, Zanga. I don't remember those early live journal, live journal. That was the other one that I was trying to think of. Yes. Live journal. Oh, I, I was never emo enough to have a live journal, but there's some emo Zanga entries. I'm sure that I hope <laughs> never see the light of day. <laughs> yeah. Dude. Do you have fun talking to Adam? You've talked to him a couple times, haven't you?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure you can agree with me here. Just with your podcast. It's amazing how somebody that seems so larger than life can just like respond to an Instagram message.
0: Yes. Like, absolutely.
1: I, I got to interview uh cone and, and Dave from Sum 41 last week and it was kind of the same thing. It was just like, they pop up on your, on your computer screen and you're like, I've known what you look like since I was a boy. <laughs> like, <that laughs> yeah, so starstruck, sure. with, And by the end of it, you're just like, yeah, like it was, it was a strange thing because I've thought about all the moments in my life that I've had a friend. That was new to the scene, maybe played in a new band. I'll throw my friend Nick under the bus because he gets to tour with everybody and be a guitar tech now. But uh, that band Get Down that we used to play shows with, mm-hmm. Nick Veriger. <laughs> I had yelled at him at a party once and I said, my name is not Mikey from the JV All-Stars. My name is I'm your friend, Mike. Like mm-hmm. we're friends, like just drop it. My band name has nothing to do with me and you and I are friends. Like you're not following me around. We're buddies. And. So I remember throughout the course of the last couple of weeks, mixing the, the interview I had with Adam, playing his new song for my wife. We were stuck at home, so we're the only thing we're talking about is what I'm working on or what our daughter wants us to talk about. So finally, it was the day that the interview came out, and I said, "Oh, Adam just wished me a happy birthday. He sent me like a little video of him like playing the ukulele, and it was it like melted my heart. It made me so happy that he like even thought to do that." And my wife was like, "Hey, you did it." I was like, "What?" She's like, "You call him Adam, and not Adam from Homegrown." <laughs> <And> it, <laughs> You know, it took me back to that type of that that same situation with my buddy, Nick, because at some point we all become equals Mm -hmm. at, you know, at at one point Brooks Wackerman joined bad religion. And at one point he just became bad religions. Brooks Wackerman, you know, the best drummer they're ever going to have.
0: Even Brian, right? Yeah. What, 94?
1: Yeah. So like the one, another really positive thing I've gotten out of being able to do all these Zoom interviews with artists is just that they're well, one, they're really bored right now. And yeah. I, I think they kind of need a little bit of attention and love. But two is that they're just ordinary, you know? And it's it's important to remind yourself that sometimes.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I've experienced the exact same thing. Yeah, and I didn't want to fanboy too much with Adam, but mm. I certainly could have because Adam might be indirectly responsible for several things that have occurred in my entire life because yeah. homegrown to me, was essentially as big, if not bigger, than Blink-182 the first time I heard them. Same. And we went and saw them play. They opened for Blink-182, but I don't even think I registered the idea of having openers versus headliners, co-headliners, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And when I first met Kyle Coomer, and we started Game Time when I was 16 he was really into homegrown and I was really into homegrown. And that was what we were trying to create. And just everything that spawned from that, just saying, Hey, we like this band. We should try to shoot for this style of music, you know, Mm -hmm. and these types of harmonies and these types of guitar leads and things. And then what's interesting is there's parallels. Even now people know me from game time. There's sometimes I'll go out in Kansas city and people recognize me from 20 years ago and it's just crazy to think about you know having a conversation with him now and seeing all the things that he's gone through and recognizing how human he is and how mm-hmm. he's just like most other adults who are going through things and having kids and being introspective and finding out who they are
1: yeah well and you know it, it doesn't help that you haven't aged like a day freaking vampire but uh, <laughs> I think I thought that another... about him geez man yeah no and another yeah another thing you know he's a class act right so like not to dig too deep into this but there was some turmoil when he left the band you know johnny erased him from that little from promotional photo of them like in the desert i
0: remember that yeah and then
1: they announced that they were playing shows and i think there was maybe a little bit of snootiness about not expecting to hear any of adam's songs at the shows mm-hmm. and i think they kind of pumped up whoever is playing bass as being like killer and like but we all knew it was happening you know we all knew what was going to happen but yeah. in this situation adam just bailed and he and he didn't look back he didn't go to punk news and do a tell all about how he's quitting so it was just this this mis- mystique behind it like oh yeah. man and at the time as a kid it was like what happened something to me like something horrible must and it's just like no dude like that kind of life sucks mm-hmm. after a while especially when you're middle of the road like they were like you know, they weren't sleeping comfortably every night. And sure. if you're trying to do it as a living and you're doing 300 shows a year and you have anybody back home that cares about you, you're going to miss those people. And that sucks. So sure. for him to kind of tell his story on your show and just think about it, it was just like, yeah, I, like if you asked me to go on a 300 day tour right now I'd say, hell no, my wife and my daughter are here and my best friends, my little, my little projects. Like, I'm not going to leave that. I don't, I don't care how much money you offer me.
0: Yeah, but absolutely. Yeah, I could definitely identify and relate to what he was saying. And it made sense, you know, from his standpoint, where he was in his life that time.
1: Yeah. And to add to your Blink story, and then we can talk about how apparently Kyle Coomer and I uh, are clones, I've been told. (laughs) I was like, I don't see it as much anymore. But when we were both wearing like skater tees and had the faux hawk thing, Mm -hmm. apparently he got stopped all the time and I got stopped all the time. It's like, Kyle, really? like I even had a few people like pick me up and embrace me in a hug. You're not Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that. I think For we sure. both played similar Les Pauls or something at the time too. But no, when, when I first saw, when I first started following Homegrown and listening to them and everybody was playing that piccolo snare, you know, to me, Travis Barker wanted to play drums like Bob Herco played drums. It was never the other way around. Yeah. It was like, dude, Blink got a new drummer and it sounds like Bob Herco. Mm -hmm. It was like, oh, it's not. It's holy shit. It's the guy from the Aquabats. Well, that's weird. And we didn't, we didn't know the story yet because the internet wasn't that available about, you know, Travis joining Blink and all the stuff that that went along with that. But Mm -hmm. yeah, for me, it was like Bob was the champion and hopefully if Blink worked hard, they might be as good as Homegrown. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah exactly yeah i mean they took off that following year i remember 1998 i was listening to act your age and that unwritten law record and wade from unwritten law is an incredible drummer as well
1: oh definitely
0: yeah and i mean they should have been just as big well i in think my mind.
1: and you know for whatever reason if i start talking pop punk music on a podcast or a zoom meeting i start shitting on tom de and i feel really weird about it because i idolized him a lot growing up but i think that uh I think something that gave homegrown a huge advantage was just the Mesa boogie dual guitar deal. Mm -hmm. I I think I would say it's probably a loyalty to screeching weasel that Tom was like, no, this is my sound. I play this twangy ass, but like Jerry Finn, literally, you know, he had to build a a machine to make Tom's guitar sound big. Oh yeah. Like, I think that, uh, when I think about home, like the first thing I think about when I think of actor age is those dueling Mesa boogies and just being like, this is what pop punk guitar tones should sound like.
0: Oh yeah. And it was so clean. And I loved all the harmonies and the octaves and stuff. I remember being blown away by the production and the recording back then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, dude, this has been fun chatting. We should do a round two sometime. Absolutely. Yeah. So I had one more question for you. That's good enough for me. That's your site.
1: Yes. Not mine personally. So I got a job reviewing records for punk news. Mm -hmm. Something I'd wanted to do forever and ever and ever and ever.
0: Yeah. I've seen uh, some of your reviews. I'll read them sometimes when you post them.
1: Well, and the first thing I did was I took like a, a band from Omaha that I really like, propped them up, gave them a really good review. And of course, I did it because I knew the comment section was to be like, this is not punk. Blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, eat it. <laughs> <laughs> so the guy that hired me for punk news and kind of mentored me started his own site last year. That's good enough for me. It's based on the slapstick song, uh, mm-hmm. Punk Enough. And the ideology was to step away from criticism and negativity being deep. Reason you go to the site? That's gonna for me reviews all artists of all make, all genres, and it doesn't matter if you're a local band in Philadelphia or some kid in Montana that put out a pop punk record or something. Like we're gonna cover you if you ask or if we find out about you and can, because it doesn't take that much work to just pump out a little blurb, and post it on your page, and to our advantage, the kid's gonna share it. So it's 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 a win for everybody, and it leaves a more positive stamp on the internet. I think. Absolutely. I'll- Upon doing that, Jeff said, you know, how, how do you want to help? And I said, I really liked, uh, I got to talk to Jane Navarro from Suicide Machines on the phone and I got to email with Jarrett from PEARS. And I, I kind of like, by the end of it, we were Instagram friends and, you know, it was just like the, the regular situations that you've had. Mm-hmm. So I said, oh, I'm going to try to score some interviews and I was talking to pairs and, and I was like, it'd be cool to talk to you guys on the phone instead of like over email. And I was like, well, what if we did zoom and we could like drink beers? And then I was like, <laughs> I, is there a way to record zoom meetings? Like, I don't know if there is, is there? And it's like, oh, I guess I got to pay. But as soon as I got off that first meeting, I was like, ah, oh, I hung out with people
0: <laughs> for yeah. the first time in weeks and cathartic so- almost these days.
1: So, so what I do for the, for the site primarily is, uh, those zoom interviews, it's called who's zoom and who. It's on YouTube. And uh, if you type T-G-E-F-M, that's good enough for me. Zoom, it will say, did you mean to spell something else? <laughs> you never find it. But yeah, I'm, I'm in the middle of shooting my third season right now. I got to have a conversation with three-fourths of Midtown that went out last week. And of course, I got to talk to Adam as well. And
0: That's badass that you talked to Midtown. Where the hell is Gabe? Is he too good for Zoom?
1: <laughs> it's in is LA. that what this
0: is? What does that guy do? I've gone trying. to his Instagram a few times and I'm okay, I wanna like you as a person, but you're making it really difficult.
1: <laughs> it's the the general the general consensus, not to spoil my meeting, but the general consensus was like, Oh, we had midtown practice right before COVID. And I was like, the four of you got together, and they were like, No, the three of us got together. Uh, like, oh, okay. They're like, Gabe lives in LA, so logistically it would be kind of difficult. And I was like, no. Oh, you know, and you could just tell. They really wanted. They they'd love to like put out a record or something. Oh, that'd be great. But yeah, I don't know. He's he's still collecting guitar stuff, but he's an electrician now. Yeah, in his own and under his own apprentice. And uh, Tyler's in fashion. Rob has his own record label that he's focused on. So they're they're busy doing things. But yeah, yeah, that was fun. I think for my own sanity, I'm going to finish season three. I usually do ten episodes a season, and then I think I might be going back to work like in my office mm-hmm. and between that and opening band practices and stuff, I might take a little bit of a breather on it for maybe a quarter or something. So I can like find my new normal or whatever, but
0: yeah, we're all going to be finding our own new normal after things go back to semi-normal, right? Yeah. <laughs> Do you think there's a possibility you'll stay home?
1: No, I don't think so. I mean, my, okay. my at least under my current profession, my boss told me we're a three-man IT department and I'm missing out on hands on stuff that I could really be helpful. Okay, cool. And personally, I hate it. I hate working from home. At first it was cute, but I don't like my living room anymore. My living room, I have a split level. So I have like an open (laughs) concept kitchen, dining room, living room. And my living room is where I work. It's where my daughter plays. So it's where my daycare is. Mm -hmm. It's where I eat dinner. It's where I cook food for my family. It's where I, try to relax on the weekends. So I don't know if you've ever gone to a place of employment on your day off or a place you used to work at and you go in there and you like smell the smell of your old job. And you're like, I hate it in this place. (laughs) Yeah. I don't like my house anymore, at least my living room. And it's depressing. It's affecting my relationship with my family because I don't want to be in there.
0: Yeah. You just need a boundary. You need a safe space, a fortress of solitude to come home to. Having that separation, I think is Mm -hmm. probably important, right? And you probably- No, and I've
1: I've almost, you know- went to the bars with uh, we we hung out in a little igloo little covid igloo with some very close friends between that and me chatting with you like my voice is hoarse i'm going to band practice tomorrow and i'm going to you know sing with a mask on and i'm not going to have a voice yeah like, even physically it's going to take a lot to get my voice back and mm-hmm. i think that that It's a good symbol.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for sure, man. Dude, thanks so much for taking the time on your Sunday evening to have a chat with me. It was great to catch up.
1: Yeah, for sure, man. If you're ever in KC
0: or Lawrence, I'm actually technically, I'm in Lawrence right now. I live in Lawrence, work in Kansas City. Sean, I see him very often because we have a personal training space together.
1: Oh, I didn't. I knew about that. Yeah, that's cool.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it's fun.
1: You guys both got way into that. Good for you.
0: Yeah, I definitely had a bit of a physical and mental transformation after there was no more music because I identified for so long as I'm sure you can relate to playing Mm -hmm. music. And then all of a sudden that's kind of up in the air and you're not doing it. And then you have to reevaluate what it is you want to do with Mm -hmm. your remaining time here, because you're not going to be in a pop punk band forever. Yeah. Or maybe you will, and you'll just add. (laughs) It'll my be goal like a is nightmare.
1: my goal is for Lennon to sing in thirst things first, and for me to start just start going to the shows when she's old enough to replace me.
0: Yeah, I love uh, that.
1: But uh, do you remember Jay West, Justin West from V-Card Vengeance and Shortchanged? Oh yeah. So he's like obsessed with Ghostbusters now. He's a Go- Ghostbusters podcast, and he does the cosplay and all that stuff. My parents gave me all of my old toys, and some of which I'm you know keeping close by. But I, I looked at I had everything Ghostbusters, and I was like, you know what? He's really going to like this. I've gotten thousands of free video games over the last decade from people that are like, I'm like, hey, dude, this is worth $700. And they're like, yeah, but you're not going to sell it. You're going to collect it because you're a dork. (laughs) And I know you're going to treat it really well. And so it's like, okay. So I was going to pay it forward. I was just going to give this tote to Justin and be like, if you have any video games you want to give me for this, otherwise enjoy. The night after, what venue in KC burned down last March?
0: Oh, Davies
1: Uptown. Davies Uptown. The Killigan's. We're playing there the day after that fire. Oh no! We were we were booked, yeah, and we called and canceled because of COVID, uh-huh. and we canceled our show in Lincoln too. That's when that transaction was going to take place with the tote. So it's oh. behind me. It's in the corner. You're looking at my. This is the opposite of who's Zooming who. You're oh, sitting. Where, you're sitting where I'm normally sitting. Oh, uh, okay.
0: Yeah, I was that's gonna say it looks a little different from here. That's interviews.
1: my tripod behind me on the drum and the shitty
0: <laughs> that's rad yeah you got a, an extensive setup there i like it
1: but, but yeah that's uh so justin and i were talking a lot about kansas city just bands and just v-card drummers standing on their stools <laughs> that's, that's yep <laughs> you, your guy was a little better at it than, than pj was just i saw pj stand on his stool spin around fall back first into his whole kit yep and it was yeah, like did
0: that a couple of times. <laughs> oh God.
1: But yeah, hell yeah. I'll be in touch. And obviously we're going to keep communicating on Instagram and stuff. So if you need anything from me, let me know.
0: Yeah, for sure. Same to you, my man. All right. And I look forward to future Who's Zooming Who episodes. I haven't Mm -hmm. watched the Midtown one, but I'm definitely going to watch it. I'm a huge Midtown fan, so I'm very
1: curious to see. I I had a couple like really deep cut Easter eggs. That's my favorite thing. So like I asked Adam some questions about Homegrown where he was just like, you're a little weird, dude, to even remember that. (laughs) Kind of the same with Midtown. Like I had a couple nuggets where they like gasped when I asked the question. Like Mm -hmm. namely, they they played one show under the moniker The Lords of Mm Seamen in New Jersey in the early thousands and i got to i got to talk about how it was the 10-year anniversary of their their first and only show and they were so shocked that i like knew that and it was just because somebody from the site somebody that works on that's good enough for me told me to ask about it and explain so little nuggets like that but also if you ever want to ask me how i got in touch with somebody that's on my show so you can interview them prospectively i i'm I'm always happy to share that
0: oh thanks man
1: my secret kingdom so some 41 i messaged cone okay on instagram
0: Really? Wow, that's cool. That's he, cool yeah. of him, man. I really appreciate that. I mean, I've always liked some 41, even mm-hmm. their newer stuff. I dig it. Yeah. I've never met them. Never met those guys before, but that's really cool that he was receptive via Instagram.
1: Yeah, I got to do Lawrence Arms, and I think that that was just because it was like, I think we had a connection at Epitaph, and they had a record coming out. We were able to kind of sneak in and pretend to be like a legitimate press site. But Propaganda was also like my other only bigger one I ever did. I messaged all of them. They didn't respond. I did a drum cover and tagged them, and they shared my drum cover, and then I messaged oh, them bad. again. And I was like, thank you guys so much for sharing my drum cover. I have to ask one more time if I can interview you. Uh, but yeah, Cone, like Conan Dave's names on Instagram have the little check by it. So I was like, he's not going to respond to this. Mm-hmm. He's got the check. <laughs> so if you, yeah, you should reach out to him. And if there's anybody that you see that I've interviewed, uh, just ask me how I ended up breaking through to them. Well, right, thanks, man. Dig it up.
0: And vice versa. Oh, yeah. Thanks, dude. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, cool, no man.
1: Well, well, I will have- talk to you soon.
0: yeah have a wonderful rest of your evening have a good week okay
1: thanks Kyle you too
0: alright see you buddy
1: Bye. I think I owe you one for this a brief history of everywhere I've been